Get ready behind the red door, listeners, because today we're about to meet an extraordinary figure in the world of fraternity leadership, our very own Brian Warren, the dynamic CEO of Sigma Phi Epsilon. From his days at the University of Virginia, where he passionately served as Virginia Ada chapter, as president and as vice president of recruitment, Brian's journey with SIGEP has been nothing short of spectacular. After diving into a rewarding postgraduate journey, from serving as regional director to pioneering the residential learning community program and ascending to the SIGEP's executive director by the age of 27, he's truly been a force to reckon. Brian's visionary leadership has ushered in a golden era for SIGEP, investing more in the undergraduate experience than ever before. The result, a vast expansion in the quality and the reach of SIGEP's leadership programming, ensuring that countless young men are empowered with the life skills they need to shine, both academically and beyond. Not one to stop there, Brian's advocacy for student safety saw him joining the ranks of President Obama's task force to protect students from sexual assault. His influence resonated even in the broader fraternity landscape, whereas SIGEP's delegate to the North American Interfraternity Conference, he championed higher academic standards and an unwavering commitment to personal development. But Brian's impact doesn't stop with the undergrads. Since taking the reins as CEO in 2013, he's been a driving force behind the success of SIGEP's national housing, spearheading initiatives to support the construction, renovation, and professional management of SIGEP facilities nationwide. At the heart of all these initiatives lies Brian's deep belief in the lifetime bond of brotherhood and the indispensable role of alumni. As a result, today, SIGEP enjoys a thriving communication with his alumni, fostering a lifelong connection. Off the clock, Brian cherishes moments in Richmond, Virginia, alongside his loving family, his wife Ashley, their son Cal, who incidentally was born on Founders Day, and their two delightful daughters, Louisa and Vivian. Get ready to be inspired. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Bob. So today we had talked about thinking through the whole recruitment issue and the importance it is to the fraternity, and particularly at the um, not only to the national fraternity from the from the big picture, but also at the individual chapter and how critical that is for the lifeblood of the of the chapter. So can you give me your overview thoughts on like why is recruiting so important? Yeah, so I'm going to probably touch on this in a number of of ways. Um, So I I think first off is if if we believe that we add value to undergraduate men today and that undergraduate men need our help, then we need to be able to provide that help to as many people as possible. And if you look across campuses and specifically look at young men today, I think you're, you're going to see things that are alarming. And uh, for those of you that were at Conclave, you probably heard a lot of this. Right? If you look at academic achievement and persistence to graduation of young men among young men, that data is concerning. If you look at mental wellness data among young men, that that data is concerning, uh, alarming. Even if you look at professional preparedness data, it's it's concerning. If you look at friendships, uh, healthy relationships data, that that's alarming as well. You know, we are uniquely positioned to add value in all of those areas. And I, our, our mission is in part, how do you deliver 
the SIGEP experience to as many young men as possible to build balanced men, to make them better, to address these concerns. And that happens through the recruitment process. Um, it's, it's getting out there and meeting people and building relationships and talking about an organization that hopefully you love in, in such a way where people can see the value and they, they want to join and be a part of what you're doing. Um, and so I guess that that's the second part too. This should be fun. It's, it's relationship building. Um, and it's talking about an entity, an organization that, that you're passionate about. And, and, you know, typically people enjoy that, right? That's what we're doing is talking about an organization that we love. Mm -hmm. Um, and the third thing I'd say is, um, this is building habits and skills that are going to last a lifetime for young people who are involved in the recruitment effort. Now, relationship building is every day. You do that every day. If you want great relationships, you have to do it every day. And you should learn to build the habits um, that make you good at it early in life. And if, and if you're not good at it later in life, it gets really hard to change the, those routines and those habits that allow you to forge strong relationships. It's, it's great that 18 to 22 year old can learn how to do that the right way in SIGEP. And if, if you look at it from the business perspective too, business development uh, to the conversation that you and I were having before we went live, that's an everyday thing for a business. Business development is every day. Um, growing the business, is, is every day and it's the key metric for, for a lot of businesses. So when guys graduate, they're, they're gonna be thrust into the professional world and they're gonna hear that um, and, and need to be good at it. Um, everyone, regardless of the role is gonna play a part in, in business development. And so it's, it's good to be able to understand that early and, and be able to take what you learn in fraternity and say, yeah, and apply it to your professional life as, as well. Brilliant. I mean, we could certainly spend some time on each of those topics that you that you highlighted there. But the, I think bef before I do that, let me just talk a little about the importance of the new membership coming in. So there's both the, the numbers coming in as well yep. as new ideas. So can you talk a little bit about from a like a numbers perspective and, and budgeting and manpower requirements? How important is that to the individual chapter? Yeah, so at a chapter level, uh, you know, we're we're talking about, um, you know, th this is your financial lifeblood too. I, you know, it, in order to deliver value to your members, it 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 does take a combination of of time and money, and to to do d good programming, you, you need talented people who are investing time to deliver those activities and those programs, and you get that talent through the rush process. Um, and you know, I'm going to oversimplify this, but you know, the more great people that you bring into your chapter, the, the easier it is to do great activities. Uh, you just have more hands on deck. You have more great minds thinking about how you improve things and you have more great, great people helping you execute things Th that all likely costs money. Everything really, I mean, I, I, I think most things in life do. Um, and so when we're talking about activities, you know, there, there's likely a financial component to, to doing those things well. Um, you know, there's certainly cheap ways to, to do fun things, 
Um, but when, when we talk about financial resources, they're often critical for, for any organization. And so there, there's that piece of it as well. To be financially strong is, is an important part of, of growing, growing your chapter and sustaining your chapter for an extended period of time. And I, you know, I, I'd say that in the fall, we've, you know, we've just celebrated a few big milestones. I just got back from Teal College, uh, celebrated their 75th. That was the same weekend as Colorado School of Mines celebrated their 100th. But you know, it's, you know, to be able to do that for that, that period of time, that, that's, a, that's a long time. And it, it is entirely about recruiting great people to your chapter and uh, working well together with all of that talent to, to say, sustain something great. And at both of those places, I think you even see the institution. Uh, you know, I, at Teal, where I was, we had the college president there. And she just went on and on about how how important SIGEP uh, has been to the success of that college. Uh, I think we have we have several alumni who are on the board of directors there, uh, the board of trustees. You've got buildings named after SIGEPs, and so that you know that stuff happens. Even the college feels it because of the talent that you bring in, in recruitment. Yeah. Yeah, I was just having some conversations with my some of my brothers at uh, alumni brothers from from Lehigh, Pennsylvania, Epsilon, and we're our numbers are down, and it's yes. it's scary, and mm-hmm. and so suddenly you spend all your time and energy worrying about making the budget instead of actually doing anything. Yeah, I man, I you know just to maybe pull that thread a little bit too. I think it's going to get harder. Right, you've mm-hmm. got. You've got a couple of things, uh, you know, kind of coming coming to a head. You've got declining enrollment, and with that, you also have decreasing interest in fraternities, and that has led to decreasing participation in rush or formal recruitment, uh, however you want to call it, and and really that that demands that we get really good at doing things differently. And um, you know that's how we were founded. We, we should be good at thinking outside the box and doing things differently, but we we can't always depend on formal rush anymore. And it, it's going to require us to get really good at this relationship building stuff and talking about the fraternity and pitching the fraternity and the value of the experience to people you know outside whatever you know two or three weeks the the university gives us. In some cases, shorter than that, um, but it, it really is going to require us to flex these these sales muscles and get really good mm-hmm. at something that is going to be invaluable to everybody later in life. Again, when when you graduate, if you're good at this stuff, you can do really well, um, and you you really stand out because communication and sales it's it's becoming a little bit of a lost art. If you talk to a lot of alumni, um, you know, for young people today to to do that really well. They stand out quickly. Yeah, yeah, they really do. Um, and one of the things back to Pennsylvania Epsilon is that there's a lot of fraternities and sororities on campus. So I don't know what the number is now, but when I was there, it was like 30 national fraternities on, on a small campus. So the competition is is particularly severe, um, even for those people who are interested in going Greek. There's a lot of uh, you have to do some pretty fancy differentiation on the campus, right? Uh, um, it, it is going to continue to be competitive, and I actually wonder 
how many groups are going to make it? Yeah. Um, you know, at, at places where you are going to see declining enrollment, if, if there's not some change that increases interest in Greek life or, you know, groups aren't putting in the elbow grease to go meet people and differentiate, uh, like you said, I, I wonder if there's just going to be some groups who don't survive. And I suspect that there won't be, you know, yeah. if, if people aren't going to put in the work and prioritize this and, you know, understand the, you know, the personal value and the value of the organization of being really good at recruitment, I think some of those chapters are going to, to end up folding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a, let's see, we were founded in 1907. So that's, that's one of our old. Yeah. I think we were the 25th chapter of, of the national fraternity at the time. If my numbers are correct in my head. (laughs) I wish I had all that memorized, but I. Yeah. 1907. So yeah, I think we were 25, 25th chapter at the time. So we're, pulling some lums together and trying to have a conversation to see how we can, uh, what we can do to help it and talking to Joe Langella and the, the like. So we'll, we'll pull together. It's just going to take some time to get some folks lined up, but that's all part of the recruiting process too, then is, is really recruiting alumni to come back and help. Well, and they, they can, they can really be good mentors and uh, guides in this process too, is there's, there's some, many of our alumni, I suspect, who who are their sales professionals. They they just they they know how to do this stuff and they know to do how to do it really really well. What a great opportunity for us to engage alumni in a very specific role of of, of teaching and you know growing this skill set with our undergraduates. And you know if there are Lehigh alumni who are uh, sales professionals, I'm sure that they would love to come back and share that skill set with their undergraduate brothers. But then, then there's also just this execution piece too. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not enough to just be really good at this from a skill set perspective, but there's a process of now how are you going to generate leads? Now, how do you follow up on those leads and make a good first impression? Because that is critical. And then how do you continue the conversation and really start to win people over? How do you overclose or overcome some final objections and close? And that's not even getting into how do you how do you provide value and retain people? But you know there there's a process in sales, and if and if you follow it and you you're you're really good at it, you do really really well. And if you've got both the, the you know the skill set piece and the process piece, you really thrive. And I think that there's we we, we don't have uh, freshman students, eighteen year olds who are joining our organizations who understand this because it's not taught in K through twelve, right? So right. it. It, it really becomes a, a great opportunity for, for us to provide you know, value and education and growth in ways that the, you know, the K through 12 system just has not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. With, with that, let me just kind of shift a little bit to saying finding people and having that, um, that robust conversation that you're talking about and helping them understand the value of the fraternity. Yeah. During those conversations, uh, what tips or ideas do you have about how we can first think through who is it I'm talking to and would they be a good fit for SICKET? That's that selection process we were we were talking about. Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a great question. So I, I think for, first off, and this is some of the conversation we're having at, at a staff level with our growth committee is how, how do you create awareness earlier? And, and how do you spark interest earlier? And, and by awareness and interest, there's also this component of how do you overcome perhaps some of the misconceptions 
that are out there about fraternities and SIGEP. Um, how do you start to um, maybe clarify what the experience is and help people understand the value? And then how do you do go from there to generating leads? People that you can put in a potential new member list and then start to have some meaningful conversations with. So there, there is this, this challenge right now when you have declining rush participation and, and, and likely declining enrollment on a lot of campuses of what, what are you doing to change the relationship or the understanding that exists between a potential member or an incoming student and, and SIGET. From, from there, I, I, I think you, you can get into some deeper conversation. A lot of this comes by just asking good questions. So to, to find fit, to get to that part of your question, we have to be really good at asking questions. And I, and I have found uh, now over almost 20 years of being on the staff that the, the, the rush process really has um, created this artificial barrier that keeps conversation at the superficial levels. And, and if we have the ability to break through that and to ask really good questions and really get to know people, we can better assess fit. Uh, we, we've talked about motivation for joining in, in SIGEP now for a, almost a decade. You know, th this was a, uh, you know, actually based on a study that was done with Dyad Strategies uh, in SIGEP, and we, we wanted to look at what is the implication of motivation for the quality of, of, of the membership experience and, and how people behave. And not surprisingly, if you if you find people who are motivated by a sense of belonging, by development, and by growing a, a healthy network, you're going to get a a much better fit for what we're trying to do in SIGEP than someone who is solely pursuing social status and a social experience um, outside of a classroom. And and by social experience, I mean partying, right? I mean, I'm not I'm talking about like having a good conversation and developing good relationships. That's that's socializing for sure. But I, I'm talking about partying. Yeah. Right? When that's what someone is motivated by, you're, you're going to get high risk. You're going to get low engagement in, um, in the experience, the balanced man program, meetings, et cetera. You, you, you're just going to get a less engaged, uh, higher risk uh, mm -hmm. student um, who's just going to probably show up for the things that motivate him, the parties. So to fit, you know, it really comes down to asking good questions and getting to know people and being able to ask what's motivating this young man to be potentially a member of our chapter. And, and is that good? Is that motivation healthy? Is that the type of motivation we want? And, and, and when that right motivation is there, I, I, I think we can confidently extend bids and welcome people to, to the organization. When, through a series of good questions and good conversations, you realize that someone's motivations are perhaps misaligned with what we're trying to do. We, we, we've, we've got to um, part ways with that potential new member and you know, point him perhaps to a, a different organization that may be a, a better fit for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, a recent Harvard Business Review article, which I, I try to stay up on, and, and, and this goes back to my human resources background, it was all about the, the what are employers looking for in today's workforce. And it came back to critical thinking skills, not so much job skills, uh, although some of those are given. Yeah. 
but critical thinking skills. And the way that they would they had recommended to assess that was was to pose kind of a, a mini case study, a little problem, like how would you handle this? And it could be a dilemma, it could be a, a, a moral issue, it could be some kind of a values issue. And that's what they found that employers are looking for now is critical thinking skills. Do you have any reactions to that as to how we can bring that into the, to the whole recruiting process? Oh, uh, how we bring it in the recruiting process. I think that's a really good question. Uh, so your your source with HBR is that's consistent with what we've seen. First yeah. off, I mean, we look at uh, NACE, so the National Association of, of Colleges and Employers, and, and they point out something very similar uh, to what you just described. Uh, not surprised to, to hear that at, at, at all. When, when we talk about critical thinking, problem solving abilities, um, group dynamics and leading teams, which are the things that are highlighted in the NACE study that we've, that we've looked at. Uh, we're, we're trying to, to look at how, how do we organize groups of people, let's call it recruitment committees and groups that are a part of the recruitment process, and, and how do we work with them or empower them to build a plan that acknowledges the hurdles that exist on their campus and leverage the strategies that will work well on this on this campus. And you know, for some, for example, you can you can rely on formal recruitment because you still have a lot of people coming out and they are still motivated by the right things and through good conversation, you 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 can do really, really well. For for other groups, I think they have to understand that you know, that's a really small pool and there's a much larger pool out there. How are you going to reach that larger pool of undergraduate men who would be great SIG EPS. And, and that does require problem solving and critical thinking because it hasn't been natural for fraternities for, for a long time now. I mean, mm-hmm. for, for yeah. so far, we've depended on the university to create this process and bring people to us. And then we open up our doors and we say, hey, how are you doing for a week or two? And th- that's it. Um, and then we go on to other things. Today, we are we are trying to push our undergraduates to think a little differently about this and to problem solve, and that's going to require the critical thinking that I think you're you're referencing. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. look at and if a young man who's a, a VPR uh, who's leading his recruitment team has been able is able to walk into an interview and say, "Look, I I noticed this these dynamics happening on my campus, and this is what I did: organizing a group of people, building this plan." And we executed that plan and achieved this goal. I mean, that's a compelling story wow. in an interview, right? I mean, that, that that's what you want. You, yeah, you absolutely. Want people who say, "All right, there's a problem. I know how to go solve it with a group of peers." Yep, yep. And and they they don't typically have a lot of natural authority over the over their peers. You know, it's all referent kind of power and and um, relationships. Yes. I mean, I just, you know, so absolutely right. So, um, so again, powerful lessons there, and and my hope is, and through conversations like this, we can help some of the undergraduate members recognize the gold mine that they're sitting on if they take advantage of these opportunities. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great example of you're going to get out of it what you put into it, and there's just so much that you can get out of it. If if you put put in the time and the effort and, and do some of the stuff that we just discussed, yeah, absolutely. What are some of the chapters that you're seeing, um, or some examples of some chapters that have done a really good job with kind of creative recruiting efforts? 
and the like. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to mention a few here, and I I think that they they also hit on some of the um, headwinds that that we're seeing with rush participation and enrollment. And you know, one one that jumps out to to me is Toledo. Mm-hmm. And I think we all know Toledo. If you go to a conclave, you see Toledo getting Buchanan cups or gold cups. Um, they bring a lot of people to to conclave. And the volunteers there know that, that that creates the momentum that carries you into the into the fall with, you know, a lot of optimism, positivity that really is helpful in the recruitment process. But they've seen a decline in enrollment there. They've seen a decline in rush participation there. And they they still were able to excel. And it is because they had the things we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. They they built a plan. They were really good at executing that plan. And th- th- they offer scholarships. Their, their scholarship process is a lead generation tool. They talk to those people. And I'm not going to get the numbers right here um, because I've got a lot of the stuff going on in the fall. Uh, but I, I think they were at 34 new members that they brought in this this year, which is a lot higher than, than what they, they got last year. I think it's 16 or so higher than what they got last year. But as a percentage of the people who went through Rush, it was a shocking number. I, I, I think they recruited about 30% of the people who went through Rush. Oh my gosh. And and so you're just, you know, you're leaving 70% for, and, and that number may be actually low, but you're just, you know, you're and you're leaving the rest for everybody else to speak across the spread. And um, so they, I mean, they ruled the the recruitment process in, in the fall. And it's because they did the things that we talked about. They found the strategies that worked for them. They recognized that there was going to be a de- the decline enrollment also is going to bring a decline in rush. They built their plan with the great strategies and they executed well. And, um, you know, they had a heck of a, of a recruitment season so far. Um, they've done really, really well. And it's going to be increasingly more difficult for them to 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 stay above 100 men, which is kind of where where they've been historically. They've yeah. been 130, yeah. 140 men, and and you're going to have to be great at these things to to maintain that that tradition that that chapter is is so proud of. Um, you know, they don't want to go below 100 because they, you know that's a sign that you know something's happening. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, there's a similar story at Northwest Missouri State. You know, they they uh, they had a really good fall um, after having a few years that were really difficult, and it, it's a similar process. They they had a plan, they executed their plan, they 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 created leads, they had a, they managed a pipeline, and it was a combination of the skill set and the the planning and execution that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. I think they were at twenty. They recruited 20 new members, which I think is 16 also more than they than they did last year. So again, that's a that's a big, big year for for them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few chapters, and and I, I just want to take a little bit of a detour here, who have been a part of our digital marketing pilot. Right? So this mm-hmm. is something that we've just started to to do. Um, and maybe we're a little late to to the game, but better late than never, I I, I guess. We, We've recognized where undergraduates are spending their time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they've got this thing in their hand uh, a lot, and if if we're able to shape awareness and 
uh, spark interest by putting ourselves out there and talking about SIGEP in a way that is perhaps unexpected for them um, and, and breaks down some of the barriers. We, we have found that that has led to more leads. Um, it's led to better conversations in the recruitment process. And you see groups like uh, Missouri, who's done this, I think, re really well. M Missouri recruited 40, which is, um, nine, I think, 19 or 20 more than what they did last year. Oh, my goodness. And oh so we've goodness. got these 22 or 23 groups now that are, are testing this, this digital marketing, marketing plan at a, at a local level. And, you know, a, a lot of them are blowing the doors off and it's, it's because they've been able to generate more leads. And when, when people raise their hand that way, they, it's a, it's a warm lead. And that's, that's a pretty easy thing to follow up with because someone's yeah. already, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've noticed on some of the Facebook posts that uh, we've had some chapters just do a tremendous amount of recruiting through the, the balanced man scholarship program. Do you have any specific examples of that i mean some of these people are getting a hundred and some people uh like signing up for the for the scholarship yeah i i, I went to the florida uh, university of florida florida alpha balanced man scholarship banquet this year I, I i think it's one of the the better ones in the country and you know they they do all of the things that you would say are best practices right? they, they hold that event at a prestigious location on campus. Uh, they, they put it in their football stadium. Um, you know, you're on the top floor, you overlook the swamp. I mean, you, not every kid gets to go into that place. And so getting an invitation to go into that room, to get that view, and then to be surrounded with uh, grand presidents, past grand president, grand president, the past grand president, uh, university administrators who, who care about Florida Alpha's success, you know, that's a special moment. And, and they, are, they are really good at making every one of their finalists that go to that event feel special. Wow. And everyone walks out of there with something. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone walked out with a scholarship. Everyone. Every one of the 20 finalists walked out with some sort of scholarship. And I, I talked to their, their vice president of recruitment and the Balanced Man Scholarship chairman about their approach throughout the year. And they, they said, look, um, we know that this is not just a scholarship that strengthens our brand on this campus. This is about us getting to know people and making a decision if we want that person in our chapter. And then putting in the work to advance that relationship so that we can extend that person a bit successfully, knowing that they're gonna say yes. It's like, you, you, you've got it. Right. And, and, wow. and they did all the work to get hundreds of applications. I think they interviewed uh, almost 200 people this year. But they looked at it yeah. as fun. Right? I mean, and I think that's that's a difference. Like if you're if you're going to do this, you got to get the right person. And, and you, you with your HR background know this. You get the right person for the job who's really going to enjoy having these conversations. And just it's fuel for them. Right? So, it is. Absolutely. You get the right people doing these interviews who love doing them. They're going to want to do as many as they can in a day. Mm -hmm. And um, it's so important if you're a president or a vice president of recruitment to find the right person or people, rather, the group of people to do this work. And you know they're going to do it well and they're going to put in the time uh, to get a lot of it done. Is the more, the more interviews you have, 
I think the more successful your recruitment is going to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's those deeper conversations that break through that superficial level that we talked about earlier that you're really yeah. limited to in rush. This is an opportunity to, you know, you spend hours with people talking to them. Absolutely. And then you invite them to your other stuff that you're doing. Sure. Sure. And, and, and there again is another, you know, kind of a nod towards the chapters with enough manpower can actually pull these kinds of events off. It's hard to do if you're a yeah. 30, 40 man chapter. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. They have dozens of guys working on this. Yep. So there's the not only the financial success from a larger chapter, but also the ability to replicate yourself and keep growing down that down that path is, is critical. Yeah, that's a great point. So because um, I had certainly on the road, I had my share of chapters that said, well, we're we're fine. We don't need to get any bigger. And you go. Okay, let's think this through. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I'm glad you went there because one of the things, I mean, going into Conclave and coming out of Conclave that, and and I think we lost a lot during the pandemic, right? I, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. It was two years of academic years interrupted and recruitment processes coming off the, the rails. And for our organization where you've got such turnover, um, you know, losing two years of um, things, lessons being passed down. I mean, that is significant. And so we went into this year with this um, focus on how, how do we create a, a movement that gets people thinking about growth differently and instills a growth mindset, which, as you know, it's, it's not just about uh, membership, a, a growth mindset is this belief that I, I can improve all the things that I'm working on. And iterative improvement is going to help this organization get better. It's going to help myself get better. But how do we instill a growth mindset in, in the organization? And, and how do we help people differentiate between the traditions that they've inherited and the culture that they want to achieve? For a young person, especially in a you know, tra- tradition-based organization that a fraternity, I think, kind of naturally is, you know, you look at what you inherit as a sacred cow. You know, I, I need to do that. You know, it, it was what the person before me did. I'm going to do what the person before me did. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's, I don't think that's what the person before you necessarily wants you to do. The person that came before you wants you to take what they did and build on it and do it even better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the growth mindset. Um, and, if we go back to one of the things that I opened up with about helping people and young men, how much, how much help they need today. Sometimes we have inherited traditions that said, you know what? 30 is enough. You know, 30 is where we're going to cap it um, or whatever the number is. Well, look, it, if your culture is really about adding value and it's really about brotherly love and helping people be their absolute best. And there's someone out there, that's number 31 or 32, who's motivated by the right things, would benefit from SIGAP, is not a downside risk to you in any way. Why would you deprive that person of the value that we offer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would you not run to that person and say, look, we can help you. We want you to be a part of this. This is a special organization. And we're not going to cap something special artificially just because of tradition. 
that 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 is something that I think we're going to need to continue to work on mm-hmm. um, and continue to help people understand. It's just it's it is so important to what we're trying to do in every part of the organization. Yeah. Well, I, I think that in talking to one of my um, my colonies this over the last semester, their fear is they grow too fast, too quickly, and they can't consolidate them. They can't pull them together. They can't create that culture. Yeah. And and I said, well, you can, but you have to think about it. It's yeah, got to be an intentional, critical intentional process. Yeah, critical yeah, thinking. Critical thinking. How do you pull them in and and build a culture around it? If if yeah. you if you ignore it, you will end up with you. And I have seen it happen. You end up with factions. So you have the, you know, the, the class of you know whatever is this group, and then the next group comes in. It's big, and they have it mixed together. So you have to intentionally have that type of of, of process. But also, that's where your your uh, membership development process comes in. Yeah. So. Um, you probably heard this at Conclave too that we're going through this this effort to 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 reimagine the Balanced Man program for today's yep. college student. You know, it's it's thirty years old. You know, I'm I'm sitting in in front of things that are about the Balanced Man program's founding, um, and it, it's you know it's thirty years old. It hasn't gone through the the consistent uh, evolution and refinement that you would probably do as a, mm-hmm. as a professional with any product. Mm-hmm. Offering consumers, you you would always look to to iterate and improve, and and we we haven't done that, and we we need to, and the way that we're talking about the program, um, which I'll call an experience, right? It's 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 an experience. Let's uh, I don't know that we need to talk about it as a as a program, but it is it is redefining the SIGEP experience. Yeah, and the way that we're talking about it is bringing people together. Um, to break down some of the siloing that you have between classes uh, and to help people learn from people who are older than them and vice versa, learn pe- from people if you're older, from people that are long- younger than you. And mm-hmm. to, when you bring people together and have a, a great activity, that is a critical part of the culture building that that we're talking about. Um, the way that the BMP it was in the '90s, and in a lot of cases, continues to be today. Uh, it is cumbersome. It is time intensive. Uh, it, it is it is hard to execute because you've. I mean, you've got all of these, you know, four four different groups and all the different activities and self paced So I've got to offer something to everybody in my group. You know, multiply that times four over the you know the course of a year. You've got a lot of things going on, and it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's overwhelming for the people who are trying to put the programming together. It's overwhelming for the people who are asked to participate in the programming. Um, and you know, the the other thing is back to our volunteers. You know, we're we're asking 19, 20 year olds to facilitate the development of 21 year olds. How are how are they expected to do that? They, mm-hmm. they don't have mm-hmm. the the skill sets, the experience, uh, the professional perspective to to do this stuff. Um, and and so when we're talking about building culture, I, you know, we have to to be able to do things well and focus on the things that really work. And um, we have to bring people together as as we do that. And if we're not bringing people together, the cultural element that you're talking about it gets really hard to to influence. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it has to be like just in 
what I had to do with organizations was try to create an intentional culture. Like we have to change our culture to one that is much more attentive to details, for example, or one that is much more um, easier and straightforward to talk to. There's no no political uh, ramifications of conversations. Yeah, and and that takes an overt, concerted effort to help break those barriers down. And but I think the same thing can apply at a, certainly at, a, at an easier level, but at the fraternity level of building certain kind of characteristics within our within our chapters. Yeah. Well, when you have a complex experience, uh, it the the explanations become complex, the value proposition becomes complex, <laughs> and um, the the program was founded on I think great principles and tenets. Um, and like most things in SIGEP, I think we found a way to overcomplicate it over time. <laughs> and we kept adding to it and adding to it, and not taking things away, yeah, and refining it. Um, but I, I love your comment about the the language and the vernacular. Uh, all of that has to change too. I, the the balanced man is a is a sexy thing to to talk about, and then when someone tries to explain it, I, I see people's eyes glaze over. And <laughs> it is it is one reason why we we have uh, started to to use this phrase "raise your bar." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is it is more layperson vernacular. Um, it is easy for an 18 year old and, and high school students, even that we're talking to, to understand. And it, it addresses some of the, the barriers that have prevented people from being interested in fraternity. And one of those is this concern that um, I'm going to be forced to conform, you know, that I'm going to lose my identity, that I'm not going to be my authentic self. And I, and I want to be the best version of me. I don't want to be the best version of that guy. Right. And when when we're using complicated language, it's it's just really difficult for us to address those those concerns um, and to make a, a compelling pitch for why you should be a SIGET. A yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love your use of the word authenticity, because that's that's what we see in business as well, is leaders that lack that authenticity fail over time, particularly when change initiatives hit. I don't trust you. I'm, should I really follow you? Like, how do I know you're going to be, you know, straight with me? And so, authenticity is, and that that finding your voice becomes critical in in the business world. And it's a great place to to practice that in the fraternity. Yes, absolutely, great place. Um, let me see if there's any other things I want to chat with. Oh, uh, the the effect of, um, and I did listen to the one the one presentation with Dave Stolman. And mm-hmm. could you want to talk a little bit about how we've progressed with our uh, recruiting training efforts? Yeah, I, I may be a little bit repetitive here in, in this, but um, one, we, we wanted Dave to, to facilitate something live nationally. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, granted, it was virtual. He did it in person at Conclave. And, and mm-hmm. it was it was standing room only. Yeah. Which tells me, you know, people are hungry for for this and they recognize the value. And I think the more that we talk about the value and the importance of, of being good in this space, the better and healthier the organization is chapters are, are, are going to be. And you know, the, the greater the demand is for for more of that programming. Um, but Dave sends a, a few very, very clear messages 
when he talks to people. And and one of his sessions was titled, uh, you know, Recruit or Die. And he he is able to articulate the importance of recruitment um, in the history and the sustainability, the, fu- the future of your chapter, so that it can become important to you. And I think that that is one of the most fundamental things for us in, um, in all of this is for people to understand the importance. He, he will then help people understand, what are you talking about? It, is it compelling? It, is it different? And, and do you do a good job of explaining it? <laughs> um, right, so we're back to this kind of that skill set area of the, the two-part combination. And the other is, if you don't have a plan, Mm-hmm. And if you're not consistently checking on performance against your plan, you're not going to be successful. And of course, he, he gets into things in a lot more detail than than I than I just did. But I do think that also David is a fantastic example of someone who has a he's a sales professional. He understands how to do this stuff, mm-hmm. engaging in the organization, and the organization loves it. And so if, if you're a volunteer out there or an alumnus out there who's looking for an opportunity to engage and, and share your skills with undergraduates, I think he's a great example of someone who or a great example of when young men are going to latch on to what you can bring to the table. Uh, they will find value in it. Yeah. And want it. The, I know that our, you know, Teddy, as our regional director, has done a number of recruiting workshops uh, is that now part of the their curriculum as they go out to the chapters to to spend time specifically doing recruiting workshops? Yeah, it ab- it absolutely is. Yeah, um, we we've tried to take some things off of the regional director's plate. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they are they are oftentimes just by nature of the role, uh, all things to all people. Yep, we we've really asked them to lean into a few things, uh, primarily recruitment and growth. Uh, and the work that they do, and at an at a national level, like the the, the growth equation is now how how many men are you bringing in, how many men are you losing, and that gives you a net, and y- you should be positive. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know we're looking at how many chapters are we starting, how many members are we recruiting, how many chapters are we losing, how many men are we losing to to attrition. And and what does that mean for the future of of CIGEP and our and our chapters? But so I, I think this national conversation is is very applicable locally. The RDs are being asked to to help chapters execute recruitment really well. Um, and you know, and that's the lead generation. It's the awareness building and shaping perception on campus. It's how how do you convert a lead to a new member? So what's the sales process and how do you overcome objections? How do you close? How do you make people feel special in the process and help them feel valued? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but then it's also, okay, you've got somebody. Let, let's talk about whether or not you can keep them coming back for more. And we we don't, as a national organization, I, I think thrive in that space. We're, we're, we're hovering between 60 and 65% retention nationally. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not a good number, right? When, when, when three to four uh, of, of 10 people leave by the time they graduate, you know, you're, you're probably not delivering something that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for any, for any business, right. You're going to start questioning whether or not your product's as good as you think it is. Mm-hmm. 
whether or not your value proposition is, is as compelling as you think it is, or, or if you're delivering on your value proposition. And I, I think the same thing is true for, for us. We've got a lot of chapters that are at 50% retention, 60% retention. Mm. And so really we're, we're asking regional directors, let's get really good at recruiting the right people for the right reasons. And then let's get really good at retaining those people because we're delivering value throughout the experience. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, it, it's not just about helping a vice president of member development. It's about engaging volunteers who can address that deficiency I referenced very quickly earlier. Yeah. You can't ask a 19 or 20-year-old to lead the development of another 19, 20-year-old or a 21-year-old. They just do not have the, the experience, the perspective to do that and do, to do that well. We need more volunteers involved. Yeah, and yeah. Really, uh, those are three of the biggest areas we're asking regional directors to play a role in. Um, you know, there's there's absolutely underneath all of that. There's there's financial health um, because if you're out of whack there, the train comes off the tracks. Um, that's a big part of operations. But you know, beyond the basics of helping a chapter operate, we ask that they lean into those three things: it's recruitment, it's member development and retention, and it's engaging volunteers and and all of that. And if, if yeah. we're we're really good there, in addition to finances, I think we're we're going to have really strong chapters. But I think it's also worth pointing out here too that when we talk about recruitment, um, one of the positions that's been I think marginalized historically is the vice president of communication. I mean, we're we're really looking at that now as almost a vice president of marketing. And how, how do you help and empower that person get the message out to, to create interest, to, to fuel the pipeline of potential new members so that the vice president of recruitment and his committee have an easier job of working that pipeline and you know, pitching SIGAP. Um, and it's not always just, hey, I got to depend on Rush or you know, I've got to go and just you know, beat the bushes on my own. Yeah. I've got this guy over here who's you know, great at, at building our, our brand on campus and sparking some interest and overcoming some of the objections that allow me to just be better at my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the feedback I've gotten from chapters is they've, they've loved the recruiting workshops. And I think as I kind of put myself back in the in the old days on the road, it was it would be a great opportunity to be in front of the chapter doing something of value where everybody gets to know you as compared to having these little clandestine meetings in the back office talking to the, you know, to the uh, the vice president of the financial guy. So I, I think it's a it's a really a powerful mechanism to get the whole chapter engaged in the conversation of recruiting. So I, I think it's a brilliant move. We, we also want it to be fun to do yeah. that too. So when, when we're doing a recruitment workshop, I, I think part of what we're trying to get better and better and better at is when you do that with a chapter, how do you make it fun so that guys want to show up to that? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's good to do that type of activity with your brothers and learn in the process. Yeah. Um, you know, if people have a smile on their faces, they're doing recruitment, that's a win. And that's the type of chapter culture you want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and I think that I think that's the beginning of breaking down some of those barriers that we talk about between between generations or between classes, where we recognize we're all working on this thing together. Yeah, as a, I, as a chapter, so, that's a strong culture when when everyone believes that. Yeah. So, well, we're getting up to the top of the hour. Is there any? Um, do you have anything to you want to wrap up with or talk about? Man, this time has flown. 
I know this has been fun, Bob. I, oh, I thank you for having me on and and talking through this stuff. I'm I'm happy to do it again, and I'm happy to introduce you to other other folks who can okay. build on this conversation. Fantastic. Yeah, I I think Dave Stallman sounds like a really good like next topic there. Like I said, I just heard I did not attend the workshop and at the conclaves. I think I was in legislation or something, but probably we district governor is very busy. <laughs> there were. I missed a lot of really good stuff. So I need a, I need a, a, another one of me out, out there running around. Um, any wrap ups? What do you what do you see as the like what's the current numbers look like for the year ahead? Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 we're in October. Um, and so I think in about 30 days, we're going to know how the how the fall is going to end. Really, um, mm -hmm. we're, we're getting to that point where the quarter schools are starting to report numbers. Um, if we look at today versus last year, we're we're 13% ahead of where we were with recruitment. Okay. Uh, but you know, that's a combination of of a few things. Right. You've got five chapters that are able to recruit this year that weren't able to recruit last year because of some of the silliness going on on their campus with campus wide shutdowns. You've got uh some new chapters that we've we've opened up that are are doing well uh that were started last year and the ones that we're starting this year. You've got just, I think, better recruiting in general. You know, almost 70% of our chapters right now that have reported have beat their last year number. Oh, fantastic. And that's a really great statistic. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I think we're, we're in this space too, where you may have some challenges comparing last year to the, this year because of the timing of, of reporting members and registering those new members. Yeah. But yeah. I think I think we're, we're seeing... Um, you know, the, the type of activity and the reporting that we want from our guys. And it, it mm -hmm. gives a sense of optimism that we can continue to to build on this and do a, do a lot of the things that we talked about over the last hour and get, get better at them. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Brian, this has been a, a real treat. Again, it's one of my other, my, my three top opportunities and, and moments in my SIGF career, talking with you and, and the two past presidents or the two grand presidents. Um, Lots of things to think about, and uh, we'll get this out to the to the district and the chapters real soon. Sounds good. Thanks Great. again for having me on, Bob. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. This has been it. Really has been fun. It really has I, been fun. I enjoyed so, it. Okay, that's that's all the better. <laughs> all the better. Thank you, brother Warren. All right. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Take care. everyone. All right. Bye bye. This concludes our third episode of Behind the Red Door. Please tell your brothers and friends to listen to this and all other upcoming episodes of our podcast. You can also subscribe to Behind the Red Door on Spotify and now available on Apple. Please feel free to leave comments and suggestions on the Spotify page or email them to me at bob.anderson at sigip.net. This episode is copyrighted by Sigma Phi Epsilon Fraternity in 2023. All rights reserved. Music credits are on the podcast page.